0: Hey, I'm Laura Banks here, and you may know me from Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, where I navigated the USS Reliant for Khan himself, and we went into battle with the Enterprise. And you're listening to Trek Untold.
1: To Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I am your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. The Wrath of Khan is undeniably the best Star Trek film ever made and holds that rank across the entire sci-fi genre. It was a perfect movie in every sense with an amazingly crafted story, great visual effects that hold up to this day, and a cast that understood the assignment and came together to make pure movie magic. Ricardo Montalban set the standard for villains in this franchise, often imitated, but never duplicated. As Khan, he wreaked havoc for the entirety of the movie and delivered some of the best ominous lines of dialogue for a baddie ever. But what about Khan's crew of augmented humans who barely set a line outside of his right-hand man, Joaquim? Well, today we've got the inside scoop from one of those superhumans, and that would be Laura Banks. Laura was with Ricardo for the entire shoot as one of his crew members, specifically the one acting as Navigator once they took over the Reliant. Beyond her time in trek aboard that Miranda-class starship, Laura has worked in a number of films and TV roles and eventually moved on from acting to pursue a successful career as a writer, including her recent autobiography that we're going to be talking about later today. Laura has a ton of Star Trek connections throughout her career and great stories to tell, So let's head round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom as we chat with the one and only Laura Banks. But before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you to follow Trek Untold on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at trekuntold, all one word. You can get show updates, check out some fun memes, and let me know what you think about what's going on with the current events in the Star Trek universe. You can also support this show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can listen to the shows before they come out, know about my guests well in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions. Get transcripts of these episodes to make sure you get all the info and more benefits coming soon, including watch parties and live streams. But that's all dependent on more fans like you coming over and letting me know you want to be a part of events like that. If you want some Trek Untold merchandise, check out our store for gear and apparel, including shirts, hats, stickers, water bottles, notebooks, and a whole lot more. New designs will be added throughout the year, so it's always worth taking a peek. Trek Untold also has an Amazon shop where you can peruse everything Star Trek, sci-fi, and geeky on Amazon in one convenient location. If you're looking for a gift for the Trekkie in your life, or maybe you want to see some of my favorite non-Star Trek things that you can get for yourself, check out the link for my Amazon shop in the show notes on the audio version and in the description below this video on YouTube. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platforms that allow for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review to help out this show. If you're watching it on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com at Trek Untold and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. All of these things help more people find this show and to continue growing and bringing you awesome guests each and every week. Now, without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. Hello and welcome back to Trek Untold. And now you've seen her on the bridge of the Reliant. But today we're getting the full story from behind the scenes of The Wrath of Khan. Today we're joined by Laura Banks. Laura, how are you? Welcome to Trek Untold.
0: Thank you. I'm fine. Good to be here.
1: Yeah, very excited to have you here because there's a lot about Wrath of Khan. There's so much production story, so much behind the scenes stuff. And I know you've got a real legitimate inside scoop to what went on. So I'm I'm so excited to hear all about the stories coming up.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, I do have some stories.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get there because we got to go through the entire gamut of who Laura Banks is. And I want to start by asking you the question I ask all my guests here. And that's Laura, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Were you a fan of it growing up? No.
0: I really wasn't. I mean, it was on my TV set and I would just dial through it and only became a fan after walking onto to the set that I didn't know I was walking on to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Interesting. All right. So, like, were you a sci-fi kid at all or just had no interest in that genre?
0: Sci-fi specifically, I don't have a memory of being fascinated by it, but I was always creating my own imaginary worlds and drawing and painting and writing. And and uh, uh, I kind of used to imagine an imaginary world down by the creek. I, was, I had created it as this alternate universe and I was I was the queen and I'd look for like this root throne to sit on. And so, I, I you know, as as an artist, I think that whole r- world is very rich for me of what I make up. And now I'm a big sci-fi fan and I attended the um, Sci-Fi Awards uh, presentation at the uh, University of uh, Hull, L.A., the famous one with Ray Bradbury, actually. It was very oh, exciting, nice. but uh, I love it. My favorite movie is Blade Runner, actually.
1: Oh, wonderful choice. Yeah, great film. So uh, let's get a little more background information about you, Laura. Uh, I'd love to hear where were you born, what your parents did for a living, and what little Laura wanted to be when she grew up.
0: Uh, well, I was born in uh, New Jersey and uh, raised in the Midwest, and then I moved to California. And my mom always wanted to be an actress. So oh. she was an usherette at the Paramount Theater in New York City. And I always find that interesting that I went on to work at Paramount Studios. So we both in an odd way worked at Paramount. I I shot Star Trek II for, I was on set for about three and a half weeks and I uh, really saw the whole production side of the Reliant and, and con and stuff. And then I'd heard from an early age that I was related to the Barrymore family, to the Drew Barrymore family. And I have yet to really needle in on the exact relationship but my grandmother swore by it and her maiden name was Del drew so whether it's true or not like the drews married the barrymores that's how the drew barrymore the girl got her name so if it's true or not um william shatner did meet drew once and he thought that our energy was just so amazingly similar and i can kind of see it but uh, it was ingrained in my mind from an early age that I was this relative of the royal family of theater, the Barrymores, and and my mother wanted to be an actress. I grew up watching every black and white movie I could, and enamored with the whole art form, which I cover a lot in my book about how because my mother was so fascinated by acting that uh, Matthew that I was mm. so
1: and I, I lived her dream because oh. she wasn't able to live in. That's really cool though that's really exciting that you have that kind of connection uh did you go to like a university or a conservatorium to continue study performing as you got older
0: oh yeah well i so I studied in high school and was the lead in the high school play and the experimental theater and the musicals uh and then went on to the University of Kansas where uh I studied theater and was in uh, my freshman year i uh Pirandello uh Luigi Pirandello was a premier Italian playwright and i had my cameo role, which is your first role in this all graduate production. I was 16 and it was all people that had been flown in from Broadway and regional theater. And I got a pretty big role. And the director was an Austrian director who had studied under Max Reinhardt. And uh, he told me that he really liked my work. And, and, and that, so I was getting recognition by getting the leads and getting these parts. And so then um when I moved to California, I studied uh, with um, Harvey Lembeck for comedy, who's a famous Eric Von Zipper from probably a lot of your audience doesn't know, but there was a bunch of beach blanket movies. And I studied with Von Zipper and and uh, what continued to get my degree in drawing and painting from a California State College. And while there, toured and performed to assisted living in elderly home communities, musical numbers and theatrical pieces. And so that was like half a semester. And then my true really in-depth studying really did start at KU with some really great teachers and really did start with Mr. Lane at Shawnee Mission West, which, oh, by the way, Paul Rudd and Jason Sudeikis went to my high school. (laughs) So I think that's pretty cool. Not like my mother's Erasmus High where, Barbara Streisand and everybody known to man from Brooklyn went to school, but I have Jason and Paul. But then when I moved to New York City and got more involved in theater, which isn't my really my first choice. I love film, I love television, and I love stand-up comedy and improv and theater. Is is has been rewarding, but not at the high end. I studied with a woman, Sandy Shuren, uh, and she really, really got me going uh, in, in a level I think I really tapped into and. One day, a, a redheaded, thin fella showed up very young, like maybe in his late teens, and he'd already done uh, Dazed and Confused. And he's a Star Trek famous guy. I don't know if you know who I'm
1: talking about. Well, I'm trying to. Th- I, I think I have an idea. Is it Anthony Rapp? Yes. We're talking Anthony Rapp, of course. <laughs> so Anthony's behind me in
0: class one day, and he goes, oh, excuse me. Is, is this a good class? Well, I like studying here. And I'm like, yeah, sure. You'll, you'll fit in there. <laughs> Just this little skinny red guy who I just saw back at GalaxyCon at Columbus, and we had a big hug and a moment there, so that was fun.
1: Yeah, I know you're doing the cons right now, and it's also because you've got a book that just came out, which we're going to talk about a little bit more later on, too. you got The yes. Wrath of Blonde, which is your autobiography. So yes. I want to let fans know about that right away. you got the book. We're going to have links to that, of course, in the show notes for this episode. Uh, and also, you know, I'm not going to run down every single kind of behind-the-scenes thing uh, you've got, because I want folks to read the book. So we're going to get out there right now. But I do want to ask you about one other Trek connection you do have. Uh, And that is, you know, you talked about doing some improv comedy and there's a certain well-known Trek performer who you did some stuff with. Uh, Who was that? Um, I just
0: keep looking at myself in the screen. I actually (laughs) am not a fan of Zoom because I'm consumed by my own image and getting it all just right. It's really sad. Um, So the woman that I had an improv comedy troupe with when I first moved to San Diego in 1979, who I met right out of the gate, I can only imagine I must have responded to a classified ad looking for actors because i still am not 100 percent clear how i ended up within this improv troupe spontaneous combustion but whoopi goldberg was the premier player of this troupe and fought to keep me in the troupe and very very cool we've stayed friends and uh i i saw her on her one woman show and she brought me backstage and introduced me to mike nichols who if you guys don't know who mike nichols is just study him he's an incredible director and writer and comic improv genius. So he she had she had the the, the value of, of Mr. Nichols directing her play and and then off and on um she just recently like a couple of years ago gave me tickets to her her touring show and and so I'm hoping to reach out to her with my book. Hmm. But I just she's a great talent. I mean to work on stage with her, uh you just sort of back off and you kind of hand her stuff or let her, you know, go. But one of my actually this is a fun story. So I was um Backstage at the uh, the Spook Show, which was her show. And uh, she said, you know, she said, Laura, you were the first person I knew doing something famous. And I'm like, how does that work? She said, well, I was sitting in the audience and I was watching Star Trek. And my daughter, Alexandria, says, mommy, mommy, isn't that that girl from your improv troupe? And we looked again. She said, sure enough, it was you. She said, you were the first person I knew who ever did anything famous. So I sort of take some credit for her ending up in the Star Trek franchise,
1: (laughs) whether it's worth it or not. (laughs) And that's a lot of fun. Uh, You know, I've watched uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway a ton, and I always love the episode that Whoopi does on that show. Uh, So I'm curious, you know, with with your experiences on her, uh, with her actually performing on stage, like what Mm -hmm. was your favorite type of game, improv game to do with her?
0: She had a prop box, which is not, you know, considered the elite way to do comedy, but I've. You know, it's like the carrot tops of the world, but Whoopi and her imagination to do a game with her, it would be like trying to do a game with Robin Williams or Robin or or, or or Winters, you know, Jonathan Winters. You know, they're so talented they don't mean to, but they it's less of a game and it's more of them just exploding with talent. And so the game is for me to listen and to support. And it wasn't that she wasn't a supportive player. I mean, some of my fa- favorite games are. um parties party party where you walk in and you've got a, a treat and, and and you announce who you are and and you know everybody's got a different who what where and you got to figure out who who the person is from the audience's response and things like that that's one of my favorite uh, but it's a lot of games i love i've, played, I've done improv my
2: whole life i love improv trek untold will return momentarily Trek Untold is sponsored by Triple Fiction Productions. Celebrating 15 years in business in 2023, TFP creates 3D-printed Star Trek and sci-fi-inspired items that fit into any collection. Whether you're a cosplayer who wants a Starfleet phaser, Bajoran tricorder, or a Klingon dagger, or a toy collector looking for that special accessory or diorama to make your figures truly stand out, Triple Fiction Productions has exactly what you need. And for you figure fanatics, that includes products that are the perfect size for Galoob, Mego, Playmates, and everything in between. All products are 3D printed in the US, with new designs constantly being updated on their website. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, where the more you order, the more discounts you receive. TFP also has a pay what you want section, where clearance or misprinted items are available at a discounted price. Best of all, every product can be shipped worldwide. As a special bonus for listeners of this show, Trek Untold has a special discount code just for you. Enter Untold10 at checkout for 10% off of all orders with no minimum purchase required. That's 10% off using Untold10. To see all of their products, head to triple-fictionproductions.net. Or to stay up to date on their newest products, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Triple Fiction Productions, where something is only impossible until it happens.
1: Hey everyone, Matthew from Trek Untold here, and I want to tell you about a big Star Trek event happening in May in New York City. Trek Long Island is kicking off in Hog, Long Island for the weekend of May 20th and 21st. This is a show for fans, made by fans. They've got celebrities, scientists, podcasters, and so much more jam-packed in two days of out-of-this-world fun. Trek Long Island has a phenomenal guest list, including some rare gems that scarcely do public appearances. They have guests from Star Trek Discovery, like the amazing Doug Jones, Oded Fair, and David Ajala. Star Trek Picard's Avon Evagora and Issa Briones, Strange New World's Bruce Horak, and many more from modern Trek shows. But don't worry, they've also got guests from the original series' movies and episodes, such as Robin Curtis and Barbara Luna, as well as J.G. Hertzler from DS9. Plus, a host of behind-the-scenes contributors will be appearing virtually, including Michael Westmore, Doug Drexler, The Okudas, and an in-person appearance by composer and sound designer Alan Howarth. There's gonna be panels with Star Trek authors and historians, scientists breaking down the science of Star Trek, visual effects artists explaining how the magic gets made, and so much more in addition to panels from fans like you. Trek Long Island has something for everyone, and that includes all ages, as there will be children's entertainment activities and evening cabarets and late night comedy for the adults. This event is gonna be two Trek-filled days you do not wanna miss. So prepare your away team for May 20th and May 21st for New York's best new fan run Trek convention, Trek Long Island. Check out treklongisland.com for more details on how to pick up tickets and attend. Trek Long Island, boldly going and going kindly. But normally, Laura, on this show, we kind of like dig around some other stuff before we get into the Star Trek. But if I'm correct, Star Trek Wrath of Khan was actually your on-screen acting debut. Is that correct?
0: That was my on-screen acting debut, yeah. I was looking for work in Dramalog, which was the backstage. It's now Backstage West. They were bought. And Dramalog had an ad in the back, a classified ad, describing me to a T. And my height, my measurements, my hair color, everything I call central casting. I go, you guys, I'm in this ad. It was a pretty good size ad, but it didn't say what the movie was because it would have been swarmed, right? So that's how I got the part, and then I get Wista Central Casting, and I get the green light to go to Paramount, and then Nicholas Meyer meets me, and then I get waved on to wardrobe, and my life has changed forever. But uh, that was my first. I was uh, like 24 years old, and my, which is considered over the hill to be starting an acting career. I wanted to start it when I was like 15, 16. I won a partial scholarship to New York, and my parents wouldn't let me leave Kansas City. I think it may have been a different story for me if I'd started really going for it back then but i'm happy with what i got
1: and when you found out you got the role i mean, was that the first time you then you knew that it was also a star trek project officially
0: i still didn't know what it was because it was so hush hush and mm-hmm. and i just i remember seeing the, the the hallways there i just learned there's a name for those uh special names because up in ticonderoga where i'm going to make an appearance they have some of these metal looking round hallways and then the bridge itself so when i walk on set instantly i go okay, we're either in a, this movie is either about an underground warehouse because <laughs> I hadn't seen the bridge yet or. Uh, yeah, I just, I'm so, I was so scared and nervous to screw it up and so young and on this major Paramount picture that you know, half the time I was just breathing, recalling, remembering to just breathe in and out.
1: It's a pretty crazy thing to just be on a Star Trek set. I mean, just just seeing it, I could imagine, just got to give you chills.
0: Well, yeah, as I started to realize and put together what was happening, I still didn't know what kind of true cult classic film we were making. I mean, no one knows, right? Like, Dorothy didn't know about Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland. Um, But when I started to work with Ricardo and he showed up, I realized this is a really, really powerful actor. So did not know the
1: magnitude of it
0: was very ex- so whoops was very excited that when i got positioned in the navigator seat for sure yeah.
1: but do you recall what your very first day on set actually was like were you guys shooting on the bridge or was that that was actually in the cave uh, scenes right that was later that was later so Okay. when
0: i first showed up there were like 20 or more of us extras and when i got into my wardrobe which was the most difficult part and i talk about it in my book i'm I was, I was i call us the rug people it's when we were put in these giant costumes that covered our heads and our bodies and made us look enormous I mean all of us the women had to be five ten and over I was five eleven and the men had to be six two and over and so we were big super genetically engineered people right and so then they 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 put me in this costume which weighed a ton and I really couldn't breathe and then they took me out to you know what was said to alpha five right and and this wind machine and the sand and they and the the first AD or the second AD is positioning us and then repositioning us until they get what they want, and then they started running these huge machines. And I thought, oh, this is what you do in movies. I had no idea. You know, I was thinking, like, you know, where's the close up that I used to watch with my mother and all the romance? You know, what is going on here? They didn't. They didn't go. All right, you guys were on a deserted planet. They didn't even explain. We were just you know, asked to just stand out there. It was obviously deserted, you know. And and we did a bunch of takes to get it right. And I remember not enjoying that. Hmm. I remember not enjoying that day.
1: Yeah, that sounds pretty horrible. I mean, that's that's gotta be a real uh kind of culture shock to go from theater to then that kind of a setting. That's that's something else.
0: Yeah, Nicholas Meyer had to pay a fine to work with me because I was in none of the unions huh. and you you're not allowed really to get roles. Um unless you've got a quality that they can't get anywhere else. And, and he just agreed to pay the fine. There was a woman on set, another one of the cons women who was union and had been an extra. I was not a professional extra and she was, and she tried to get me thrown out. And that's when Nick agreed to just, he he liked my acting because when we were then back in the, I call the RV, the cons RV, little trailer park we had there. And, you know, you know note to anyone if you're an extra in a movie just keep acting because you never know who's looking at you like a lot of the background players were just kind of like when he'd yell action I noticed they weren't emoting or anything and I would as an actress you know and Nick asked me you are an actress right away yeah and that I was like action I was really in the scene and by then i had been moved even more forward and then when they yelled cut Ricardo had just done something Walter Koenig was there and Nick says good job Laura and I thought, oh my God. So I was like, okay, he's paying attention to me. And and so then day after day, more and more extras were let go. They go, if you don't hear your name by at the you know, there, then that means you're staying. And 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 the rest of you, when you hear your name, thank you very much. And so I kept not hearing my name and I kept not hearing my name and I kept not hearing my name. And it turned out to me and Nancy Rogers and like four or five guys. And you know, by then we had our own trailer and and we knew, and then and then we were we were brought into the bridge. Mm for the fight sequence and of course plot to intercept enterprise ready sir my my only line that was in the script that they did not give me due to budgetary concerns i remember the day that nick was looking at the script and i could see him struggling and wanting to give me the line and he swore up and down that he'd never make another major movie with a big studio because of all the constant input paramount was giving him on the project that he didn't want so i just got invited to monster rama in atlanta and I guess Nicholas is going to be there and I haven't seen him since 1982. Oh, wow. so I get to ask him why he didn't give me my one line. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be but in the room I, when that happens. I still get to say that I'm partially responsible for the demise of Spock, which is
1: what I say. That's that's pretty accurate. I would go with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so talking about Nicholas Meyer, I mean, the man is a genius. The script for the film is is so dense and amazing. And the direction for it as well is just stellar. I mean. Uh, yeah. What did you think? I mean, when you, did you actually have a chance to read the script? Because as you're mentioning, you know, like in the beginning, you didn't quite know what stuff was happening. I mean, were you allowed to no, look at the script?
0: I really, I really, I really didn't. I, wow. you know, I was, you know, I was like the poster child for the film. My, like, you know, my picture was in Time Magazine, you know, above Dan Rather made my mother's day, you know, and uh, I was on the box cover and, and, uh, you know. A lot of acting, a lot of sequences in the fighting, but they 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 would just tell me in the moment what was happening, and I got most of my direction right from Ricardo watching him make all these amazing choices. And he always stayed in character, so it wasn't like you could go over and chat with him. He was always staying in character.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about Ricardo Montalban a little bit because I mean the film is nothing without Khan. Uh, I don't even know where to begin asking about the man, but I guess I'll start with how was he offset? I mean, did you get to actually hang out with him at all in between takes?
0: I did. I mean, I had weeks working with him um, and sitting right next to him. And then when he's dying and he's going across the front of the bridge, we're like right next to each other. He was really wanting this role to work. He was very, very committed because this was his breakout role. He was doing Fantasy Island at the same time. Not his breakout role in the sense that he'd been a matinee idol in Mexico forever and had been doing films in in, um, the States and, hurt his back horribly falling off a horse in the fifties and was in agony the entire time filming. And I would watch him, they'd yell action and he'd come to life again and stand up and do what he needed to do. And they yell cut and he'd just fall back down. You could just see the pain he was dealing with on a regular basis and taught me a lot about commitment to craft, to say the least. But like I said, he did stay in character a lot, Matthew. So it wasn't like you could go, hey, Mr. Ricardo, you know, how are you today? You know, and I was so intimidated. It was my first time on a set and I've got this huge camera in my face and I'm trying to remember what I'm being told to do. And I'm thinking I'm going to get caught. I'm not supposed to be here. You know, the whole imposter syndrome, like, how did I get here? And um I, I took a, we were one time we were standing and waiting for the next shot and a big giant light fell, must maybe weighed 50 pounds and crashed within about three feet of us. And we had, if we had been just moved over slightly more. Um, I was just able to tell his son in law, Gil Smith, about that at the uh, creation con in Vegas. He didn't, Gil had heard that his father in law almost was severely injured due to something and that there was a big bang. And so he didn't know that that's what it was. But um, one break, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm new to a movie set. I don't know, you know, everyone's being. Pretty nice, but everybody's pretty freaky because of the budget and the time, like how how much money they spent making one. They knew it was sinker, swim on the franchise with two. And so everybody was on pins and needles for the most part, except for when we had the birthday party for Nicholas Meyer, which was really fun. Not a whole lot of joking on going on, but uh, I saw a big director's chair and I didn't know from director's chairs who they were for or whose they were. And I thought, oh, a chair and I'll go sit in it. And I went and sat in one of the chairs and someone kind of shot me a look, you know,
2: I'm like,
0: what is a chair? And and I and I kind of go, well, whatever. And I can't, I get up and I turn around, I look at the back and it says Ricardo Monoban. I'm like, oh, okay, that's not my chair. <laughs> I won't sit in that chair again. Um, That was a cuter story. But he was always like, and how are you today? And very old school. He's the kind of guy that would lay down your coat in a puddle. His coat, not your coat. If you lay down your coat, that wouldn't be right. I'd take sky. my
1: coat for you, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, somebody's <laughs> coat, but not yours. Um, cordial, friendly, but just passionately committed to getting through the day with his early morning calls to get into the bloody face makeup. And one of my strongest memories was just watching his ap- acting choices was, uh, you know, he had two gloves and um, he was sitting there waiting for the next shot and staying in character. And then he just very slowly, I watched him, like, take off the glove, like, hugely intentional, like, I want to take this glove off. And I saw him put it down. And Nick is watching him. Nick is timid to direct him because he's, he's had more experience than Nick at this point. But in the read-throughs, Ricardo was like, please direct me. And so Nick did have him become a little more intense and pull back and, like, levels of, like, tuning that. And Nick watched him take off the glove as con and he walked over to him and they had this communication, which was all nonverbal, where he would look into his eyes and Ricardo would look at him and they'd get a nod like, all right, you're going to stick with that choice. And, and, uh, and Nick was good. And, and, uh, and then I felt that the hand being exposed showed more of his own vulnerability and he could do more with one hand out of a glove.
1: Hmm.
0: And it was way before Michael Jackson. So he didn't know that one glove is hip, you know,
1: so. Now I just can't get the image out of my head of like Khan, but with a sequined glove, just like Michael Jackson. That's <laughs> <laughs> missed opportunity right there. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know. Now you talked about you know the scene as well you have with uh, Walter Koenig and Paul Winfield as well with the set of eels in that little cavernous area uh, in the Botany Bay. But really, outside of that, I mean, the Augments, you know, Khan's crew they don't really get to spend any time with any other Starfleet people. So I mean, did you cross paths at all with like Kirstie Alley or Shatner on set, or was it always just kind of you? and Khan and the other augments.
0: I met Kirsty and Bill uh, touring. So at the Star Trek conventions, because the Reliant was the same set as the Enterprise due to scheduling conflicts with Fantasy Island and monetary challenges, needing to use the same bridge for both ships. We couldn't interact within what was the 18 minutes of entire film time. Ricardo Montalban was on camera, which is all he was on for was the was primarily in the fight sequence so um i i uh interacted with uh you know uh judson scott of course and 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 uh ricardo and the other you know players nancy rogers Hmm. who i guess i don't know where she is people try and find her for interviews and things and i think she just doesn't want she's i think she's still working as an extra whereas you know as a writer and a journalist and a, and a, uh, I always wanted to share my experiences and, and that's fine, but she was a good person.
1: I mean, it seems like really the entire crew kind of got along. Uh, and you know, I'm glad you brought up Judson Scott as Joaquin because you know, he did return actually in star Trek. Uh, he showed up in the first season of TNG, which was really cool. He's had a great career beyond that as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, do you have any actual memories of hanging out with Judson and just, you know, chatting with him and the other augments in between stuff?
0: No, you know, I was just told recently that I should try and get on, uh, the new Star Trek series somehow. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. But then I thought, well, maybe not. Maybe I will. That could be fun. Um, I don't, except that he was really handsome. I remember thinking, this guy is like got the most beautiful fe- features, almost like an androgynous androgynous quality, you know, like female almost, like the perfect lips and the cheekbones. And I was a little intimidated by him because he was so pretty. And uh no, I'd beyond just staring at him. <laughs> I, I didn't have um, much to do and he hasn't played the conventions much so I haven't had a chance to get to know him.
1: Fair enough, yeah. And another thing too, you know, we're talking about you actually performing in this film now, uh, you know, for the most part you're you're basically the navigator on the Reliant and mm-hmm. imagine you're basically just staring out at the cameras for the most part, like, you know what is it like to work with not really having anything there to essentially give you kind of feedback to work from?
0: Well, you know as an actor um, you know, <laughs> You're, the first thing you learn in your sense memory and in your early 101 acting stuff is relate to everything in your environment and find meaning to everything and be listening and focusing and seeing. So since I had that skill, and that's what gets you out of the nerves, if you can stay focused in your environment. So I, I wasn't only looking out, I was doing, I was looking at the technical choices from the console and the buttons, and then I would interact with someone over here. And then I would look, and then I would look away because I would be fearful of what I might be looking at. I mean, I wanted to show as much as I could um, in just those moments. Um, And it was funny because during the fight sequence, we were all looking in a different spot. And Nick was like, cut. You guys, this isn't working. Hang on. And then it took him like a half hour to figure out to get a pole and put a masking tape on it with an X on it and say, everybody look here. So then that's, he goes, this is the enterprise. Okay. (laughs) So, so now we know where we're all looking. And then he's like, you know, sway to the right, sway to the left, everybody bump. Okay. You know, so whatever they were saying to do, you had to do and, you know, making that look realistic was its own little challenge. Um, One of my more favorite moments was when um, the PR person invited Nancy and ricardo and i to do a shoot a photo shoot just totally on the fly hey we got nothing else to do let me take some shots of course that became that shot that was seen by so many people of con with the two ladies and i had so much fun filming that and nancy was so nervous because we we were told we couldn't wear any makeup so we were sneaking on a little bit and i remember like kirstie alley in star trek 2. it's like she had like too much makeup going on she had like the reddest like glossiest lips. And, and, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, I don't know, but you know, I certainly wanted makeup too. Um, but since we were abandoned on a planet, you know, left for dead, you know, all I got was dirt, which was sort of sorry my life in a, a few of my other films I started um, where some women going for a close up and a makeup retouch, I get dirt and spray down with fire repellent, but a girl's got to do what she's got to do. Um, so uh, before the shoot, uh, Nancy and I, I think, sneaked on a little bit of mascara, and she was nervous because she had nail polish. So when you see some of the shots, she's got her hand in a funny position where you can't see her nails because she refused to, like, take the nail polish off. But uh, it was, Ricardo was more
1: more easygoing
0: with us that day, and we, we had some laughs taking those shots.
1: I've heard a lot of stories, even from more modern iterations of Trek, where apparently nail polish is just a no-no. So that's something that just lasted through generations somehow. Uh, yeah. I read that your character, by the way, actually had a name. Is that true?
0: Well, I'm a playing card, and they gave me a name on the playing card. and I thought I had my playing card, I was going to show you somewhere. What name did you hear?
1: I think it was like Maha Root or something, or Mahajid or something. Yeah. 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 So that was more just like kind of in, in the video, in the uh, game, though, more so than the actual.
0: Wajahat, like, W A W-A-J-A, J A. Yeah. I think it okay. was more in the game.
1: Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, when you finally saw the movie, I mean, did you see it in the big debut or was it later on or, or what was the first time you ever seeing Wrath of Khan?
0: Well, I was in Los Angeles, still struggling as an actress. I got that part. And then the next year I got a lead role in a film, Wheels of Fire, but uh, still struggling and saw myself in Time Magazine, which changed my life. That was such a freaky day. And then uh, with some friends just went to to the big screen and and and, and saw it and it's like what it was just so strange to see myself so big on screen and to see it all together with the james horner music and to see what i was a part of it was then that it hit me oh my gosh this was this is magic this is this is a very special thing i did i had no idea before that i had no idea
1: and the wild thing too is it's like considered the best if not one of the best uh, star trek films of all time one of the best sci-fi films of all time and even just Standing alone as a film itself, it's a masterpiece. And you were a part of that. That's, that's going to be wild to think about.
0: <laughs> it is. And I, everyone I meet, of course, is so excited. And they tell me that they'd give their right arm to have any kind of walk on in any kind of a Star Trek movie. Even celebrities want it. You know, they're willing to pay, I guess, uh, for it. It's it's a beloved franchise and I'm I am very, very happy to be a part of it. And I'm really happy to be out touring again after having not toured for 20 years. I just sort of walked away and with my book coming out, The Wrath of Blonde, I thought, well, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. And so this year alone, I'm in Austin and Raleigh and uh, Richmond and um, uh, Atlanta and a Ticonderoga in Las Vegas. So I'm going to be busy.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to hear you're busy. And that You're still connecting with all the Star Trek fans out there like myself. Uh, it's so cool that you, you know, you're really yeah. taken to this franchise like that. And uh, you know, we should add that for the time being, your time in Star Trek ended with the Wrath of Khan, but that could always change. Uh, but your okay. your connection to Star Trek though did continue because you worked yeah. on TJ Hooker with William Shatner. And not only that, it's an episode with Dennis Franz and Heather Locklear, but I don't know if you're aware, Laura. Uh, you know, uh it's got DS9's Vic Fontaine, James Darren in that also. So uh yeah. Did you know that? Oh, really? No. Uh, yeah, James Darren was also one of the key players. Ah, uh, towards the later season of D Space Nine, he was this uh, hologram lounge singer. It's a really great part, oh actually. Gosh. But yeah, I'd love well, to hear about your time with, with Shatner on TJ Hooker. Yeah, I could
0: share on that. And then just to back trap track, um, backtrap is I don't know when you go back to a trap and see what you caught. Um back see, track, happens, do when you know, catch a beaver or something. Um, <laughs> this year a book is coming out by John Tenuto on, with Paramount Pictures is publishing on the making of Star Trek 2. And I'm featured in that book, which is nice um the original drawing of my wardrobe and uh an interview with me so i'm proud that i'm a part of that book uh that that continued the legacy a little bit there that was nice um uh, yes tj hooker you know i asked bill after many years later you know did i get that part in tj hooker because of you and he didn't say yes and he didn't say no but i wasn't a member of screen actors guild which is really difficult to get into and i ended up getting getting it because supposedly i was five eleven. but uh i ended up getting my first part in a in an episodic television series on tj hooker and i had a scene with with mr shatner at the bar where i was a barkeep and uh you know i saw him in makeup in a police outfit with the white makeup paper here you know to not get anything in it and he, he certainly didn't look like Kirk anymore. And then he looked like he definitely looked like a cop. You know, he was a cop. And um, we had a lot of fun shooting. Actually, Heather Locklear was not there the day that I worked. And okay. her replacement, Heather Thomas, was the woman I worked with. And my favorite line from my scene is when is when Heather Thomas says, oh, yeah, back off, fireball. So to this day, if I have trouble with anybody, I just say, back off, fireball. And
1: they go away. So, I'm going to definitely use that sometime. That's a good line to hold on to.
0: <laughs> yeah, back off, Fireball. And and um, uh, Bill was very professional. He he uh, uh, seemed to be uh, pretty easygoing. I mean, I didn't see him shooting Star Trek, so I wouldn't know what he was like in the making of that. But in 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 T.J. Hooker, he was very personable with everyone. You know, they go, oh, you know, William Shatner's difficult or not nice, and what about what do you think of that? And I, I have a comeback line which. Is part funny and totally true, which is, I don't know how he is with everybody else, but a young, tall, blonde starlet, he was very nice to me.
1: <laughs> very fair. Very fair indeed. Uh, <laughs> now, yeah. you know, you also did some work with Roger Corman, uh, and I know a lot of it's going to be in your book as well, Wrath the Blonde. And again, I want to leave a lot of that for folks to read in your book. But, uh, you know, we talk about Corman a lot on this show, and I'd love to just hear some, some general we memories did. you have of that man.
0: Oh, I didn't know you spoke about Corman uh, here.
1: Oh, yeah, we, oh we, he crosses paths with a lot of different tribe people.
0: Roger Corman, uh, well, there's a tie-in story here to back to Khan on this one. So I was cast in Wheels of Fire, which is a really kind of an awful film. Um, but my character was good. I play a Sigourney Weaver type leading armies into battle. And we beat the bad guys with a team of true believers and shot in the Philippines. And, and, and uh, I signed contracts with Roger. Um, uh, I do need to back up into this story. So when I was in the lobby waiting to read, it was a sea of tall blondes. Hmm. Every tall blonde in Hollywood was reading for the role of Stinger. And uh I remember thinking that was pretty funny. And one of the women in the room was Lana Clarkson. Do you remember her? I don't think I do off the top of my head, no. Uh she was in Deathstalker. She's she made over 17 B films. She worked with Corman. I worked with Corman on a few films. She, she worked in many the role of navigator in star Trek to the wrath of Khan was originally cast with Lana Clarkson. Oh, wow. And she decided to go home for Christmas. So that's why they needed me 11th hour that would non-union. They had to break the rules and get me in there. And all of my outfits said, Lana Clarkson on it. And the very, very tragic footnote to this whole story is that she was the one that was murdered by Phil Spector.
1: Oh, wow. The Phil
0: Spector murders. Mm. So, uh, Waiting to go in, I've got my lines memorized, which was a bunch of, to see Roger Corman, it's a bunch of like men this way, and you're not going to do it, you're not going to make it out alive, you know, a lot of barbaric sci-fi, and it was an apocalyptic end of the world kind of movie, right, remake of Road Warrior, Mad Max, and uh, I walk in another room, and Roger's sitting there, and some casting people, and it's a very small room, and I'm trying to do this character, and I don't have a lot of room. But I remember thinking, Roger Corman's here, <laughs> so this is good. I've made it down to where I'm working. I'm, I'm auditioning right in front of Roger, and I just, I just gave it everything I could possibly give it, and and I got the part. and And then he was with me signing autograph uh, autographs of the contract at uh, a hotel in Sunset Boulevard, and we met at the top. And um, um, the man I was with at the time was very clear about the no nudity clauses and kind of gave Roger a hard time about what they had to put in there to protect me. And, and Roger was just very much a gentleman, very soft-spoken. Well, yes, that will be fine. That will be no problem at all. We will be, we will take good care. So my memory is of him being just very um, soft-spoken and um, easy to get along with. But of course, a brilliant marketer and in, in Clint Eastwood in, in 17 of his films said he studied Corman, mm. uh, for coming in under budget and on time on a regular basis, which is to say the least, and then selling them to countries all over the world, of course, with different names and things. Yeah, I mean, you he's know, a very smart Francis guy. And Francis Ford Coppola, right? Ron Howard, yep. Jack Nicholson, Barbara Hershey.
1: Who am I forgetting? I mean... There's a lot. I mean, I, just, I actually just watched The Raven you know. the other day, in fact. i was just reminded, like, how much fun it is to see those movies especially. But just what an amazing worker he is. Yeah,
0: and I, and I quote Coppola in there who says much nicer than this. He says something like, you know, you're you're you know not the greatest situation to be in a Corman film, but he gives people their first chance to yeah. learn the ropes. Many go, well, you Laura, you had this break in Star Trek, and then you had a break with Corman in two movies, and how come you didn't kind of go further? But I do talk about it in in the book, not in a bitter way, but it's a highly comedic book because I'm a comedy writer. I don't believe anyone should read a memoir that isn't funny. I think that's cruel. Uh, but uh I do talk about the fact that I did get a late start of my career in my mid-20s and how it is a world of who you knew. And I didn't go to a, a fancy school and and um I moved to New York City in nineteen eighty-five where my credits in film action pictures didn't carry weight. You know, they wanted to see if I'd carry to spirit the public or something. They didn't care so I I came to to New York for a relationship and I think it did hurt my career because right then I was being seen for the lead in Desperately Seeking Susan. I was being seen for the lead in Clan of the Cave Bear. I mean, things were going really well. And typical of you guys, you throw us ladies all off course all the time. And so I let that happen. But then I ended up picking up my comedy career up in New York. So I digress, but don't even remember what the question was, but.
1: Well, on behalf of men everywhere, I apologize for us derailing your career. And uh, but I mean it is pretty cool though, because you basically started them down a new path. That's what you do and for the most part nowadays, which is writing. And I know you've written a few different books. You know, we mentioned Wrath and Blonde, but I you know please just kind of run us down some of the things that you've authored in the last few years.
0: Well, um oh, I did want to mention other TV wise. I hosted a, a show on the sci-fi channel called Inside Space, hmm. where I interviewed Carl Sagan. And I had about a dozen episodes on sci fi. And then when they were finished with me, they brought in Bill M- Mummy
1: mm-hmm. from Lost in Space. Yep. Also host. from Star Trek D Space Nine, too. He had an episode there as well. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, so Bill and I worked on, on the Inside Space and then uh, the other TV, uh, uh, well, other movies. Yeah. So books I'm the most proud of, of, of everything I've done, which in my mind isn't much, but like people are very sweet and say, Oh, I know your whole career. And I'm like, well, well thank you. You know, because it really is kind of a limited career, you know, profession professionally. Yet it's more than most, you know, I ever get. It's so like, I'm happy with having had the experience of having starred in films and things. Um in Demon of Paradise, my other um action picture. I don't make movies, Matthew, without the word action in it. <laughs> action horror, action comedy, uh action, action adventure, yeah. <laughs> so um I've written four books, and they're all. First one was about online dating way ahead of its time that nobody bought, that was published by Career Press. And then my other uh, books were highly comedic in nature, to say the least. And one was a USA Today best, to bestseller, which was Breaking the Rules, Last Stitch Tactics for Landing the Man of Your Dreams. And um, that sold about a quarter of a million copies. And that was at William Morris for a TV deal. And um, then my third book, Embracing Your Big Fat Ass and Owner's Manual, uh, was with Simon & Schuster, and that, too, was being considered for a a television project. So fingers crossed on this fourth book, The Wrath of Blonde, that it will become a reality, um, uh, part reality, part reenactment, either film or series. That's how I wrote it. And because I've had such success writing in a way that got the attention of film producers, I'm actually working with Anthony Moore Communications in Burbank, which is a big PR firm. When I launched the book in May officially, and they're going to put together what's called a book video to present to all the streaming channels. And one of my goals is uh, to involve the Star Trek fans in the film because part of the book takes place at conventions. So I'm hoping to bring it full circle.
1: That'd be Great. You know, there's yeah. so many folks who I've talked to on this show who a lot of them, you know, were in Star Trek and they did acting for quite some time. And a lot of them left and they pursued other interests and they've been very successful in those other interests. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not really, you know, it's not like taking an L at all. It's really just like figuring out what works best for you. And I'm glad that you found like the path you want to go on. That's making you happiest.
2: Well,
0: thank you. You know, and and I did the stand up comedy um after. So I did improv with Whoopi uh, and never looked back. I never stopped doing improv up to maybe I quit like maybe six, seven years ago, but I had local th- you just gotta keep reinventing yourself. You know, you gotta keep going forward and you got to keep in your community. And 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 um I had a marketing business where I, I worked in the in the health and nutrition arena where I did very well and I helped people get well naturally and and uh uh the stand-up comedy took off and I loved that. And that's in the book a lot about my my time at the comedy store in LA and meeting um Robin Williams and Dave Letterman and asking him out on a date and Warren Beatty and just all the crazy, crazy things that happened to me. Um, I do love stand up and I'm doing it again. So I'm when I go on the road, I'm gonna be going to comedy clubs and doing stand up oh, in cool. different towns. And I'm doing it right now in Asheville, North Carolina for the next month. Oh, awesome. So anyone in Nashville, come out and see me, <laughs> although this will probably play for years to come. They go, what year
1: did they film this? So, yeah, for folks who want to do check out Wrath of Blonde, uh, where is that going to be available? Do you know yet?
0: Right now it's on Amazon. If you go to Wrath of Blonde, Star Trek, The Making of Star Trek II and Other Wild Hollywood Adventures is an Amazon in Outer Space. Uh, I thought, Matt, Matthew, a cute little short title. Uh, it is. It is there now, and you will read about how I personally did go out with William Shatner. I know that is controversial, but it's my story and it is what happened. And we were together for about four months and it's a great story. It's not, it's not sorted or bitter. It's cute, fun stories about how we met and, and how um, my life changed. And he was on my podcast just about a year and a half ago where we have about a 25 minute interview and to this day as my friend, he got me into the creation con in Vegas for my first convention. And I'm very grateful to have him as a friend in my life.
1: Yeah, I heard that episode of your podcast. That was a lot of fun to listen to. And <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, there was so much that got edited out. It was an amazing interview, <laughs> right,
1: about Stonehenge
0: yeah. and... His work on The Unexplained.
1: Yes, yes. And that story about you and your, your dating time with Chatner, that's definitely for the book. So if that's not enough of a reason to get the book, I mean, really, what else do you folks out there need? So, I know, I know. But yeah. so we're going to have links in the show notes for that book as well as uh, whatever else we find of Laura Banks on Amazon. So please support Laura. Please support her books. So last things for you today, Laura, Uh, what is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe?
0: The Friends Robin Curtis is a dear, just all the wonderful people I've had to meet along the way that are cast members and all the fans that so wholeheartedly give of themselves to this experience that we come together to have and to give up the pain and suffering of whatever's going on outside those doors and to just come in and these young adults that are experiencing, you know, anime and fantasy and getting into the adventure of of the mind and, and getting into community. You know, that is what we need more of. And the the message, the true heartfelt message, which Gene Ronberry left all of us, which is we can come together as a planet, as a species, and not only save ourselves, but possibly save more people in the galaxy that, you know, they always say, well, we're going to get rescued because there's these super genetically engineered people that are going to come along. But wait, look at me. I was super genetically engineered and I was up to no good. (laughs) <laughs> but ETs, not aliens, because my friend pursues ETs, you're calling them ETs, um, are going to be benefic and will will show us more. And I think Star Trek was part of the preparation. And I'm an astrologer, so I also believe that the planets play a big part in our lives otherwise. So it all comes together. And I'm just so, so grateful, especially now that I'm older, to have this community come back to with such open arms. Mm.
1: Thank you for your show, Matthew, Trek Untold. And thank you for letting me come on. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I really just admire your openness to this entire process of just basically, you know, not just finding yourself, but also the public way that you're kind of doing it and how you're much of yourself you're giving out to fans, Star Trek universe, you know, you're, you're giving back to us. So uh, thank you so much for all that. And again, folks, check out Wrath of Blonde. They're going to have links for it in the show notes. Uh, Laura, you're awesome. Yeah, we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do Live Long and Prosper. Thank you so do much.
0: That. Thank you so much, Matthew. Have a great one.
1: That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trek Untold, all one word. If you'd like to directly support this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter over on Patreon.com slash which gives you access to some great perks that can't be beat. Or pick up some merchandise from our store, or use my Amazon shopping link to check out all kinds of different Star Trek merchandise. Links for all these things are in the show notes. Shout out to Triple Fiction Productions for being a key sponsor of Trek Untold. Don't forget to check them out and all of the fine folks whose ads you've seen or heard on this podcast too. If you have any questions, feedback, or comments for the show, or would like to suggest a guest or discuss sponsorship options for any of these episodes in the future, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. I hope to see you here again as we uncover more untold stories from Star Trek and beyond, and get to know even more amazing people who have contributed to this ever-expanding universe. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and remember, fortune favors the bold.
2: Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com, promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms, is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.